This week on the Rail Splitter podcast, we are talking about the relationship between Abraham Lincoln and General Joseph Hooker. Frontier of hope and possibility. Being excellent to each other and party on, dudes! Welcome to the Real Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I'm your host, Mary, and joining me tonight is my co host, Nick. What's up, people driving on their. Motorcycles, since it's that season, blaring us loud so the other cars can hear us. And although he's not here with us in person, he's most definitely here uh, with us in spirit, and that is our other host, uh, Jeremy. True that, true that. So we just want to address something before we get too far into the show. And for those of you who follow us on our Facebook page, you might have noticed there was a little bit of, I'll call it controversy, last Friday, over some comments that um, we made about Trump, it was made out to be that we were bashing Trump. But we just want to reiterate that we're not looking to bash anybody. And we still stand by our opinion, um, what our political beliefs are. We have a podcast that is about Abraham Lincoln. And when you have a podcast about Abraham Lincoln, you can't separate it from politics. And because it's a history podcast, history podcast um you are going to have a tendency and we do this like you're going to look at what's happening in the modern day and compare it back and you're going to make those comparisons and we stand by what we believe we're not trying to alienate anybody we're not trying to bash anybody we're not trying to make anything anybody feel bad but we maintain our stance on here that you know we're going to speak what we believe because it's what we're passionate about um and that's where we're at with it. No, I agree. I mean, first of all, it's kind of cool to see that many responses. It, it was. Uh, it's uh, uh, Facebook, like just the dialogue back and forth. So I appreciated that. I think with history, you know, uh, what good is history if you can't use it to kind of understand the present day, um, to understand where we've come from and to use it, you know, to kind of learn from it. I know that's kind of cliche, but um, – yeah, I, I, I agree with what Mary's saying, too. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, definitely we have political beliefs. I mean, I understand that a lot of people want, you know, kind of escape reality or forget about it a little bit. Um, and maybe that's why you jump in and listen. Um, but, you know, sometimes we're going to – that stuff comes out, too. I mean, we are human, so we go through a day before we sit down and record it some days. Uh, that day or that news um, is reflected in how we start to show and talk about it. But I also think that gives us insight in who we are, which makes for a more interesting podcast. And I would say if it's if you're listening and the show is making you that angry or you're getting upset, by all means, please turn it off. I don't want anybody to be listening to us and becoming agitated or irritated or frustrated with us. Um, that's not the point. Um, we're here. We, we like to talk about Lincoln, you know, just skip the episode. Um, if you know, it's starting to get to current day for you, you know, um, that's fine. We're not out there tracking. Anybody's listening. I'll tell you that much. Um, so yeah. So, you know, I thought for the most part, I mean, it was an interesting dialogue going back and forth. Um, for the most part, I don't think it became, there's a couple of that, uh, little edge by some people there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe the same thing goes for some people replying, you know, if you're getting frustrated, you know, uh, maybe maybe not reply either. So social media can spiral stuff out of control. Um, and I don't think it really calms anybody. It just adds fuel to the fire. Um, but like I said, yeah, you know, except for Fillmore, I will continue to go after him. <laughs> uh, you know, I go out of my way for the Fillmore bashing, and that will continue. So to all our Millard fans or people who live in buffalo or love the city yeah <laughs> we apologize we actually don't really hate you actually i don't apologize one day you chose to <laughs> live do. in that dump known as <laughs> buffalo um and the roof for fillmore so that is, that's just the bottom line i 
and I will be nasty with you if you defend <laughs> Phil Moore on social media. Now, at, at the end of the day, we were really not trying to make anybody angry, but, you know, we're human. We have a beliefs and opinions, too, um, and, and sometimes, you know, that stuff gets brought up in conversation. But I do think we do a pair, pretty fair job overall focusing on uh, Lincoln and Civil War issues and tend not to go down the rant hole too much. No, I completely agree with you, Nick. And I, I thought the discussion that it spurred was was great calling into, you know, what we know about Lincoln, the history of the Republican Party, history of the Democratic Party. It was interesting to see that discussion. And I think is not really, it wasn't really drama, but just, you know, it was there and a little bit heated. But I think it's something that Lincoln would have appreciated the discussion that was going on. So it was in a way good to see that. And, you know, we thank everybody that chimed in and said their piece and all that. And I thought for the like, for the most part that it was kept very, very grounded and just very, you know, there was no name calling going on. We should get, we should try to get a future uh, guest, you know, like a political party expert Mm -hmm. um, to kind of break down, you know, since Lincoln is almost the beginning of the Republican party and, this evolution of that and where we're at. So I that agree. would be a good guess. Then then you would know you're hearing from an expert and not just a Canadian and a bearded man. Um, <laughs> and then the professional man, boys. So, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and he's left it to the bearded man and the Canadian. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, moving on to Lincoln the, in the news. I don't know if you had anything, Nick, but the one thing I came across was a new book that's out about Lincoln called uh, Courting Mr. Lincoln. And it actually was a book that um, I work in a library administrative office. So that basically means I'm not a library that is public facing. We are kind of the hub for 12 different branches in the county I live in and then we get new materials in and we kind of distribute it out. And my, my coworker said to me, Hey, there's a new Lincoln historical fiction book out called, she showed it to me and it was called courting Mr. Lincoln. So I was like, Oh, I have to read that. Haven't got around to it yet, but there was a view or review that I found about it. Um, and it is about, it says review loot. Lewis Bayard's historical novel puts Abraham Lincoln at the apex of a romantic triangle. And the romantic triangle, from what I can get from this, is it's between Speed and Mary and Lincoln. Nice. So an interesting take on the subject, given the climate that we live in today, you know, it's not... To me, it didn't surprise me. I, I want to read it and find out. And if any rail splitters have read it or are planning to read it, please let us know. We'd love to know what you think about it. So um, how's, the, how's the slow triangle going? Is it who's fighting over who? Oh, uh, let me see here. Um, because this could go many directions knowing some of the stuff that's been written. Well, like, it's, it- it's told from the point of view of Mary Todd and of okay. Joshua Speed. And I think they're kind of both vying for him. Okay. Uh, there's one That's quote, more intriguing to me, actually. Uh, Mary Todd is too much woman for most of the insecure, weak-willed men of her era. That's what this so, one review says. So is Speed and Mary trying to get with Lincoln then? Or is Lincoln uh, Speed trying to get with see Mary? Here. The new novel... Yeah, you can tell I've done my research, right? This is how we do the research. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it says two people who's courting Lincoln. One is Mary Todd and the other is Joshua Speed. And it's a love triangle, you said? Yeah. And in an arrangement that was apparently not uncommon at the time, possibly his platonic bedmate. So yeah, it's kind of, um, it's told from Joshua Speed's perspective as well as Mary Todd's perspective. So I think it would be a really interesting book to read and review on the podcast, maybe. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah, it says, sure. the the reviewer says, we get Mary's witty version of events first, often ending with her puzzled about why Lincoln behaved peculiarly on an evening walk or a fancy picnic. And then we get Speed's take on the same events, which helps us understand what Mary doesn't know. All right. Yeah. I mean, with so many Lincoln books out there, you almost need for something new to take an angle like this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm definitely interested. You know, historical fiction. 
Yeah, well, when I saw it, like, I mean, again, don't judge a book by its cover. But the cover is, um, and I'll post a link to this review. So just as courting Mr. Lincoln, there is a top hat on top of a top hat. A top hat on top of a top hat? Yes, a top hat on top of a top hat. Like the, the, the top top hat is kind of angled down so you can still see the bottom one. Gotcha. Uh, I often judge a book by covers. Oh, I do too. It's hard not to. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah. All right. Definitely. But, Give us a shout out on uh, Facebook if you've read it or you've heard about it. Yeah. I, I, think I, I think I posted something about it when it came across my desk. Um, I posted about it in one other Lincoln group that I'm part of and then also I think in the Rail Splitter group. But it was so new that I don't think anybody had heard of it yet. Yeah. That's true. But, yeah, I think it might be something – Maybe our next book club book. Well, if I put it up for nomination, it won't be. Oh, I know. I'm still salty. But you know what? I'm reading my own choice on my own right now. Are so. you really? And I'm not going to share any thoughts with any of you. Well, la dee You chose not to vote for my book. <laughs> all the Lincoln's Pathfinder. So good. Just for the record, you all missed out. Nick is still bitter. It's all locked in my head. Can you tell? Not better. It's cool, whatever. It's cool, whatever. Shade at Mary. (laughs) Obviously, a lot of Buffalo people voted for that. (laughs) Maybe they did. That's why. You know what? Whatever. (laughs) Have fun cheering for your bills. Oh, wait, they suck. (laughs) Ooh. Nick is throwing the shade tonight. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm trying to get us another 71 comment thread. Yeah, I know. It's like... (laughs) Awesome. How dare you bash the buffalo bills? <laughs> so. Anyway, so our subject tonight is uh, Lincoln's relationship with General Joseph Hooker. And uh, side and note. And Mary Todd. Oh, wait, no. Yes. Sorry. Side note, when I was doing the research for this, like I typed out Lincoln and his relationship with Hooker and I giggled because apparently there's a 12 year old that lives inside of me still. <laughs> It's just Canadian. Yeah, it is. I haven't grown up yet. So the relationship that Lincoln had with each of his prominent generals in the Union Army is something that's important to look at when when studying his his presidency and how he conducted the Civil War. Because each of those relationships, as we've found with looking at Sherman, with Grant, and Meade, it's all different in how he deals with them. He doesn't seem to deal with them in the same way. I think he looks at their personality and kind of looks at, okay, how best do I deal with this man? Um, and as we were going to see, like his relationship with Hooker is completely different from that of Grant or Meade and even Sherman. So, as it should be, too, I think, you know. Well, yeah, they're like sure. Hooker is so different from Grant. You couldn't have two polar opposite people. And I have to say, doing the research about this, like, I actually have come away respecting Hooker. Yeah, I think he's a little underrated. Um, Yeah, I think he got thrown aside a little bit too much, especially at the end. Um, And I think I was kind of typing up analogies when I was kind of looking through Mary's research. My research was Mary looking, reading, (laughs) looking at mine. For the record. Uh, But, uh, you know, and just thinking about what I already knew beforehand, he's kind of like that star player on a sports team that kind of never wins the big game, the championship, because, you know, he could be disgruntled or undisciplined at times. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but, I mean, he's still a great player, but he never gets kind of the recognition he deserves because of, you know, a couple of character flaws or a couple of failures along the road. And I think Hooker kind of fits in that. Definitely. Yeah, Hooker definitely fits in that, like, especially at the end that comes into play when he has, I think, redeemed himself enough that he deserves certain things. And because people are looking at his past, they're like, nope, I'm not going to give him that, you know, what, what should be his. Um. But just to begin with Hooker, so he's he's born on November 13th, 1814 in Hadley, Massachusetts. So he's one of the older generals in the Civil War. He's he's only um so what does that make him like 5 years old, 5 years younger than Lincoln. Wow. 
That's kind of funny, especially with the like the dialogue that goes back and forth between them. I know, yeah. The you would think it's like 10, 15, 20 years almost. Yeah, and I was actually showing Jerry pictures of him, and Jerry said he looks younger than Grant and Sherman. I said, well, he's six and seven years younger than them both. Yeah. And I think that's because like Hooker had kind of a baby face. He didn't have the beard. You know, we had the blonde hair. Um, so like many of the Civil War generals, he's a graduate of West Point, um, and he graduates 1837. He graduates 29th in his class. So probably about midway through, which is what we see with other prominent Civil War generals. Um, he's assigned a second lieutenant in the first artillery, and he fights in Florida during the Second Seminole War. He's not the only Civil War general to do this. Um, Sherman is actually, um, he's assigned to military duty in Florida during the Second Seminole War, but he won't actually see any action there. And General Meade is down there at that time as well. Uh, so Hooker does fight in the Mexican-American War, which is the big one for many of the prominent Civil War generals. We he, didn't fight in the Mexican-American War. Sherman, that would be a good... Sherman, be, Sherman didn't. He was in California. <laughs> all right, smartass. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was might have been a couple others. Oh, well, no. obviously. No, no, I know. No, I know what I you mean. Know, like I a lot of them, it. yeah. Um, so he serves on the staff of General Taylor and General Scott, which just like General Grant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he gets brevet promotions at the Battle of Monterey, National Bridge, and Chapultepec. Wow, I managed to say that word. <laughs> I was, was struggling impressive. with that earlier. I would not have been able to do that. <laughs> and this is where he earns his reputation as a ladies' man. The local girls refer to him as the handsome captain. What a stud. Which, and I don't think he's that good-looking. He's all right. I mean, he definitely has the baby face. Yeah. Um, for sure. So I could see. Yeah. They all kind of look ugly to me, to be honest. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I... you're biased towards Sherman. Yeah, but... I'm biased towards Sherman. I like Reynolds. I like Gibbon. I could see Reynolds. But Reynolds is lot... really handsome. <laughs> this is going to spiral out of control. It is... You know how some women have pictures of like. Burton. <laughs> yeah. You know how some women have pictures of, like, whoever the actor is that plays Thor on their phone? See how in touch with the reality I am? Yeah. I've got Civil War generals. Well, you should see, because the class where they do the veteran interviews, like, a lot of the guys we interview are, like, in their 80s. Yeah. But then the girls will have, like, a certain vet, and they'll be like, oh, man, he was really good looking when he was younger. <laughs> And then it becomes a fight some years on who has the hottest vet. Oh my god! Um, when they were younger, because these are eighty-year-olds now. So, but anyways, <laughs> I was kind of funny. That That's funny. funny. So after the Mexican-American War, Hooker's assigned to the Pacific Division. So he's out in California, and there's a few other generals who are out there too. Yeah, Grant. Grant. Yeah. Yeah, got it, you there. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, in 1853, he actually resigns his commission. And this isn't the first time he's going to resign um, because he testified against General Scott at the court martial of General Pillow. And this is going to come back to haunt him. Yep. For sure. Yeah, that's kind of out there where he gets tied with like, you know, the liquor ladies and gambling that you wrote in here. Mm -hmm. um, but I found interesting. I did have a little bit of time to look more than just at Mary's notes. And I came across uh, something where John Hay Obviously, this is a little bit later in life, of course. But he kind of makes the comments that he was in, he was dining one evening in Washington with a group, and Hooker happened to be part of that. And his quote was, Hooker drank very little, not more than the rest who were all abstaining. Yet what little he drank made his cheeks hot and red and his eyes brighter. I can easily understand how the stories of his drunkenness have grown. It so little affects him as I have seen. So it might not have been that he was throwing it back all of the time. It just he couldn't handle what he was throwing back. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I think a lot of times with Grant and him, I think obviously it, there's a little bit of truth, you know, with the drinking, obviously. But I think it becomes as time goes on, it becomes more of a, a t tale or a legend um, than that. But I, I do believe that he did drink, but um, I do think it tends to get over exaggerated for sure. Yeah, I agree. And it could have been more that the drink was affecting him physically 
Yeah. Yeah. Then showing the signs like he he probably was being affected physically, but he wasn't showing other signs of being drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, and some people are just like that. And that when I read what you had added, I thought like, well, this could be more rumor based to make him look worse than what he is, just like it was just like what it was with Grant. You know, there could be these rumors where, you know, he's been drunk a few times, like really drunk. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's an alcoholic. Well, you know, out there in California, you know, there's not a ton written. It's Mm -hmm. not like they were out there doing a lot of significant things. So, you know, you you get people in the military and I could tell you after sitting in over a hundred something interviews, they they tend to drink every once in a while. So, uh, so, you know, military drinking stories aren't uh, a thing of the past. It's a thing that's always been there and always will be. Um, so, you know, adding the loneliness to it, too, of California, mm-hmm. like with Grant, you know, I'm, I'm sure he would probably overindulge. Um, yeah. Yep. No, I, I agree completely. And like and civilian life just does not suit Hooker very well. Like he settles as a farmer and a land developer, doesn't do very well at that. He runs for California state legislature. He loses. Um, 1858, he writes to War Secretary John B. Floyd to request being back in the Army, and his request is denied. So from 1859 to 1861, he has a commission as a colonel in the California militia because, like a few other generals, he's realized that, oh, the military life is for me, and that's what I need to be back in. Yeah, I mean, he seems like just kind of your stereotypical military guy kept thinking, you know, a guy who can just shoot the shit, um, likes to sit back, throw something down, and always with them, not afraid to lead from the front, mm-hmm. you know. I, I think it, he, he's military through and through. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think he's just one of the good old boys that, you know, that you would have great stories to tell about down the road. Um, shit we're talking about him 150 some years later oh yeah he's obviously yeah he's he's i mean hooker's definitely worth talking about even if like i mean i tend to bash him a little bit on twitter from time to time but i've come to respect him more doing this like doing the research and um so we'll go into his what happened during the civil war we're not going to go into a lot of detail with the battles um, but just give more of like an outline and discuss more of the Hooker Lincoln relationship. Um, but at the outbreak of the Civil War, Hooker requested a commission to be to be involved, like you know, to have a position. And he's denied it. And again, this is what happened with General Scott coming back to haunt him. The fact he testified against Scott is coming back to haunt him. Um, and this leads to Hooker's first interaction with Lincoln. So he writes Lincoln a letter. Um, right after the Union loss at First Bull Run. And he complains of the military mismanagement there. He really talks himself up and he asks for a commission. And Lincoln gives him said commission. And my first thought was like, well, what does this say about Hooker that he's doing this? Uh, it says he believes in himself. <laughs> yep, definitely. The confidence. Going right to Lincoln will become a reoccurring theme here too. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I, I, he's just uh, like a guy. He's just confident. It wasn't. It didn't hold back when it came to speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, probably for the worst at times. Um, so we're seeing it here at the very outset of the war. Yep. And the pattern with Hooker seems to be those above him he criticizes; those below him he like just loves, and he will protect to the bitter end. Seems to be his pattern, and this is. Um, this asking for a commission is the exact opposite to what Grant would have done. Um, in our episodes about General Grant, we discussed that Grant didn't believe in asking for a commission. He believed it had to be earned. And Grant was saying that in reference to McClernand, who was a political general. So in other words, he had been given his position due to politics and just kind of like, here, this is what we're going to give you. And so this is really like Hooker is again very much not like Grant in this regard. Um, He's also not very. I, I didn't come across him as like very political though, like playing you know no. Machiavellian and like trying to pull all these strings. I think he was just brash, loud, yep, 
and he told people he didn't care uh, what people thought. Um, and then for somebody, when you're, if that's the guy right above you, you kind of like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Somebody who's telling the man off a little bit. So I think he definitely appealed to some of the some of the guys he was commanding that way. Oh, yeah, because you're going to think, okay, this guy's going to come to bat for me when I need it. Mm-hmm. Because he believe like he's, and that's just how Hooker seems to be. So August eighteen sixty one, he's commissioned as a big brigadier general. He has a command around DC. He's under General Clellan, and he's helping to organize the Army of the Potomac. And this organization, um, Hooker proves to be really good at it. Um, and we're going to see that later on down the road with him. So his first major campaign that he's involved in is the Peninsula Campaign, and. Um, this he commands the second division of the third corps and this is where he earns his reputation as being not only aggressive but as someone who cares about his men uh very much but he openly criticizes mcclellan so he's criticizing someone above him um and he's criticizing him for his failure uh to capture richmond he says to mcclellan he is not only not a soldier but he does not know what soldiership is so he was a genius. He saw it before all of us. Yes. <laughs> like, like, oh, <laughs> you know what you're talking about with McClellan. Yeah, see, I like Hooker already. So uh, I do, too. I was like, ooh, <laughs> he called it for what it is. <laughs> he called it early on, too. Um, so Second Battle of Bull Run, which is late August 1862, it turns out to be a Confederate victory, unfortunately. Prior to the battle, Hooker's promoted to Major General, and he's sent in to reinforce General Pope's Army of Virginia. Uh, not to be confused with Lee's Army of the Virginia. Like, there's way too many names that are way too alike, and they're fighting on opposite sides. Um, so after the battle, Hooker takes over as leading what is now the first corps of the Army of the Potomac. Yeah, no, I agree with you about the too many names, too. Yeah, Even when it comes to like commanders and generals, and then how many hills are there? I mean, for crying out loud! And which like is it Missionary Ridge or is it Seminary? Like I was getting mixed up in Chattanooga again, and then Jer was like, "Was was Bragg commanding the Army of Tennessee or the Army of the Tennessee?" <laughs> That's the problem, I guess, when you have a civil war. <laughs> it's like, which one are you commanding? Yeah, no kidding. So then we go forward to September 14th, 1862, which is the Battle of South Mountain, which is, in my opinion, a very underrated battle of the Civil War. I could tell by your notes because you spend more time on South Mountain for words than you do Fredericksburg, Antietam, and Second Bull Run. I do. (laughs) I'm a little bit biased. So your notes definitely show that. They do. Yeah, I admit it. Um, So this is prior to Antietam. It's three pitch battles. um, Crampton's Gap, Turner's Gap, Fox's Gap. I've been to, I think it's Fox's Gap, and it's a beautiful place to hike. Um, It's along the Appalachian Trail. And my friend Laura took me up there, and I actually got to see the tavern where uh, the Union Army met the night after the battle which is pretty cool to see that. Um, cool. So the reason I mention it is because Hooker is actually involved in the naming of the Iron Brigade, which is a pretty famous brigade from the Civil War. They will go on to fight at, at Gettysburg, and unfortunately they'll be pretty well decimated there. Um, they are a Western brigade, and they're made up of the 2nd, 6th, and 7th Wisconsin, 19th Indiana, and 24th Michigan. And the story goes that Hooker and McClellan were apparently at McClellan's headquarters, and McClellan asked, who were the men fighting in the pike, which is the area of Turner's Gap? And Hooker said, that's the Western Brigade, and McClellan responded, they must be made of iron. Hence the name Iron Brigade. Um, And some sources have said that it was the reverse. Um, I did a couple blog posts about the Iron Brigade, and I found like sources saying, oh, it could have been Hooker or McClellan, but that's where they got their name. Um, And then Hooker goes on to tell McClellan that they are the best troops in the world. And I thought that again goes back to Hooker and how much he seems to revere and respect the men that are fighting under him, that he will praise them to no end and seems to protect them to no end. Yeah. And this is a cool story on how they got their name. Mm -hmm. One of the most famous 
brigades in the whole Civil War. Yeah. And then three days later, you have Antietam, and Hooker's troops would launch the first assault at this battle directly at Stonewall Jackson, um, which is funny. We're mentioning his name when we're recording this because it's actually the anniversary of his wounding today. Oh, yeah? Yeah, at Chancellorsville, May 2nd. Um, They fight each other to a standstill. Hooker ends up getting wounded in the foot. He's got to lead the battle. Meade takes over for him, which is a funny kind of foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, And Hooker would say after the battle that the Union would have won had he been able to stay on the field. Of course. Pretty. I mean. (laughs) It's a bold statement. I agree. So for Fredericksburg, we did have an episode about this battle. Um, he tries to persuade Burnside not to continue with the assault on Mary's Heights, and he criticizes Burnside afterwards for um, a slow-to-start strategy to cross the Rappahannock. Um, Nick, did you have anything to add about Hooker at Fredericksburg? No. Uh, I mean, it's the same pattern here. Obviously, he was upset, like we talked about in the episode, and understandably so for that, too. Mm-hmm. I mean... By the time that's going on and all of the different advances, I mean, yeah, Burnside dropped the ball. I mean, I think we covered that well. It's kind of funny, you know, you think about this hooker. By this time, Fredericksburg was at December 62. Yep. I mean, he's already gone after McClellan, um, gone after, uh, I guess, somewhat criticizes me that he didn't do as good a job as him at Antietam. I don't know if that's necessarily direct criticism, but. Um, and then going after Burnside pretty hard here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he does not uh, – he lets loose. And that all of that is unfortunately going to come back to haunt him. Um, so after Fredericksburg, um, this is when Hooker takes command of the Army of the Potomac in late January of 1863. So by this time, he's earned himself the reputation of being an aggressive fighter, um, something his predecessor, so McClellan, Pope – seem to lack and no doubt this is one of the reasons why lincoln chooses him to lead but hooker also has his faults he's a loose talker he criticizes his commanders and um ronald white states in um his biography about lincoln called a lincoln that it was a surprise that lincoln chose hooker and the one thing that i learned in the research was that he didn't consult stanton or halleck or other members of his cabinet Probably knew that they would be critical of it, especially Halleck, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and Stanton. So I, I think it was just one of those things. Lincoln saw this guy, saw he was talented, knew he had some rough edges, but believed he could be the one to kind of help guide him. I, I think you see this in sports a lot with different sport players mm-hmm. who kind of maybe get a bad reputation on a team, but a coach takes a chance because they feel that they have the ability to work with that individual. Um I've seen it in the classroom before, too. Sometimes you're willing to give somebody who you see has a lot of potential that chance. I, I, there obviously was some connection there between Lincoln and Hooker. Um, you know, where, where Lincoln, there was some type of dynamic where he, I don't know if it was almost like a father-son type dynamic that Hooker will claim, but um, there was definitely there where I think Lincoln felt that he would be the right guy to maybe help guide him. And what else did he have to lose by this point, too? I mean, things aren't going well. Hooker's a fighter. He's going to go out there. Um, he sure to hell ain't going to sit back like McClellan away forever. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's multiple factors that go into it. Oh, I, I completely agree with you that, you know, Lincoln kind of saw him and was like, okay, maybe this is the one, this is the guy I can work with. And it, it was at a White House reception where Henry J. Raymond, an editor from the New York Times, pulled Lincoln aside and said, you know, Hooker's reputation. And Lincoln said to him, like Raymond said, he's a loose talker. And Lincoln said, this is all true. Hooker does talk badly, but the trouble is he is stronger with the country today than any other man. So Lincoln's saying, like you said, Nick, he's seeing something in Hooker. He's also, I think Lincoln's looking at him thinking, this is the, this is the guy he's aggressive because I don't think Meade had that aggressiveness. In him. No, I agree. I agree with you there for sure. And I don't think Reynolds had that aggressiveness either. And those are two men that Lincoln will turn to, you know, 
during Hooker's kind of downtime before he's removed as commander or before he resigns his commission as commander of the AOP, those are the two men he'll turn to. I don't think they had that aggressiveness. And I think Lincoln saw that aggressiveness as being what what the Army of the Potomac needed at the time. Yes. Agreed. 100%. Um, so... Um, he said that Lincoln, like Lincoln's willing to look past all his faults and see that talent. And um, Ronald White says, if Lincoln may have overlooked some of the flaws of McClellan, Pope, Hall- Halleck, and Burnside, he made the appointment of Hooker with his eyes wide open. In other words, he knows what he's getting into. He knows that this guy's a loose talker. He's quite possibly a drinker. He's possibly into like having a lot of women around because Hooker's not married. So they're yeah. that's right because he's a ladies man exactly <laughs> ladies man um, so he knows what he's getting into with him but I think given the state of things with the defeat at Fredericksburg Lincoln's willing to risk it and that's like, a, like they say you gotta risk it for the biscuit yeah <laughs> risk it for the biscuit <laughs> that's good I believe that's a Lincoln quote We'll have to do an episode about that and see if it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> and risking it is kind of what Lincoln lays out in this letter. He writes Hooker on Janu- January the 26th, 1863. And By the way, this letter is one of the best letters that Lincoln wrote, I feel like. It is. Um, and if you were to like use this like in a movie, in a script, instead of the letter and it was like them talking, it would be such an awesome scene. Mm-hmm. But sorry, I'll let you get to the letter. No, no, it's fine. If you do, you have anything you want to say about the letter? Just that it's badass. I'll let you. You know, you you did all the legwork here. It, it is a badass letter. Um, Lincoln starts off by saying, "I have placed you at the head of the Army of the Potomac. Of course, I have done this upon what appear to me to be sufficient reasons." So he's laying a positive groundwork here for Hooker. He tells him though that are. Some things in regard to which I am not quite satisfied with you. And he goes on to tell Hooker what's he, what he likes about him. He's a brave and skillful, skillful soldier. You do not mix politics with your profession. You have confidence in yourself and you are ambitious. But I think he does warn Hooker that these things can be very detrimental as well. Um, but I think that during General Burnside's command of the army, you have taken counsel of your ambition and thwarted him as much as you could, in which you did a great wrong to the country and to a most mater- <laughs> I can't pronounce that word, meritorious and honorable brother officer. And Lincoln states that he has heard that Hooker has said that both the army and the government need a dictator. Of course, it was not for this, but in spite of that, I have given you command. Only those generals who are successful can set up dictatorships. What I ask for you now is military success, and I will risk the dictatorship. In other words, words, just give me the fucking victory I want. (laughs) And whatever you want to do after, we'll talk about it. No, I agree. I mean, it's it really is uh, a work of poetry in my eyes, this Mm -hmm. letter. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he comes at him, he compliments him, but then he also kind of lets him know, like, okay, yes, I like these things about you, but I'm also not an idiot. You got some flaws here, buddy. We all know it. We all see it. Um, Just get this shit done, and then we'll take care of those flaws down the road. Yeah, and that's kind of the exact, it's almost like the exact opposite to how he brings Grant into the Army of the Potomac. Yeah, because he didn't want another hooker. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, oh my God, not another one. And he says that the government will support Hooker in what he wants to do. But Lincoln does fear that what Hooker did to Burnside will come back to haunt him. And he he tells him that. And he says, neither you nor Napoleon, if he were alive again, could get any good out of an army while such a spirit prevails in it. So what Lincoln is referring to is that after Fredericksburg, the Army of the Potomac probably is at the lowest morale to what it ever has been. Oh, I think for sure. After that defeat and that mud march, I mean, those guys just had to be like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, but Hooker kind of rises to the call as far as that's concerned, too. So, Yeah, he, do- he does. And Lincoln warns him, be aware of rashness, but with energy and sleepless vigilance, go forward and give us victories. So Lincoln's just like, just give me the victories. 
and like you said, Nick, we'll deal with the other shit afterwards. Um, and Hooker said of this letter that it's just a letter as a father might write to a son. It is a beautiful letter, and although I think he was harder on me than I deserved, I will say I love the man who wrote it. I love that part, although I think he was harder on me yeah. than I deserved. It's like, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Can you be a better person for me, please? God, I would love a Lincoln miniseries. And then I feel like uh, Hooker would be like a scene stealer in that miniseries. Yeah, he, he He'd be would. be like a fan favorite. Yeah. So I think going into this, they seem to have a mutual respect for each other, just like Grant and Lincoln did. But I think Hooker has an ego on him that Grant didn't have. And he's going, like, Hooker's very confident, like almost overconfident. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I keep saying, yeah. No. Yeah. It's okay. Um, No, I agree 100%. He definitely, he's turns out to be overconfident. But at this point, I I think Lincoln, Lincoln, it had to be nice to have at least somebody have some confidence because I'm sure there wasn't much around there. So Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons that Lincoln gravitated towards him. Yeah, well, when your army is at the lowest morale it's been, you want to bring in the most confident person possible, I think, to start boosting that morale. And there is one thing that changes with this. Um, Hooker asks that he report directly to the president. It's no longer going through Halleck. Might as well. Halleck was a waste of space. Yeah. And the two of them had issues with each other. Apparently, Hooker owed Halleck money, and Halleck didn't approve with Hooker's drinking and carousing, and... Um, and so just Lincoln agrees to this probably because he knew what was going on and he was just like, I need to cut that drama out of the equation. Halleck, what a square dude. I know. Yeah. Come on. I don't like Halleck. No, he's right there with McClellan in my eyes. Mm -hmm. I agree. So Hooker comes in and he makes many different changes to the army of the Potomac. Yeah, and I, I think he doesn't get enough credit for this because he did come in there and really whoop him to shape and regain. I mean, he's right up there almost on the level of McClellan as far as prepping troops, getting mm-hmm. them prepared. Um, and he probably learned, obviously, from McClellan, as we stated earlier. So this is definitely – and this was not an easy task at that time, um, being at the lowest point that the Army of Potomac had been in. Yeah, and he has new hospitals built, and he has older ones revamped. He improved rations, including giving the troops vegetables, which, I mean, I mean, we know now from the modern day that vegetables, like, that's one of the best things you could possibly give them. And Hooker said, my men shall be fed before I am fed and before any of my officers are fed. So Hooker is recognizing that these, the soldiers, like the infantry, cavalry, they're the ones that are doing, they're doing the hard work. And they need that food, you know, first and foremost, so that they can fight. Um, he also gives them insignia badges of different colors, which I thought was pretty cool. Like, so now they're wearing, they're worn on the caps of the men in each corps, and apparently they're worn with pride. So each corps has a different shape, you know, to identify them. They've got something that they can identify with and be a part of. Um, he recognizes the observance of the Sabbath, which had been Lincoln's order of November 15th, 1862. And he establishes the BMI, which is the Bureau of Military Information. So this is for intelligence gathering. Yeah, it's just these little details that make a world of difference. I mean, a simple thing is just wait until others have eaten. I mean, that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. The badges to bring pride. I mean, this is stuff that helps you win wars. Um, not that it led to a battle victory for him. Uh, no. But um, it, th- this is little things like this that definitely make a difference. And uh, which the military has been famous for. Yeah. And I mean, with these changes that he made, you know, the Army of the Potomac carries these forward to when Meade inherits it just before Gettysburg. Mm -hmm. And that ends up being a Union victory. So those changes Hooker made really did have an impact, I think, on the Army of the Potomac in a positive way, even though it's not shown at Chancellorsville. Um, the only thing that Hooker is criticized for is for the camp followers. And oh, come on. It's like apparently one skeptic of Hooker described his headquarters as a combination of barroom and brothel. 
Only way war should be fought. <laughs> I read that. I'm like, oh, that sounds like it must have been an inter- interesting place to hang out at. Um, the wonder Linka came and paid him a visit. I know. It's like, oh, hey, I want to go down there. Yeah, Mary was with him, I think. <laughs> so Halleck and Stanton begin to question, because Hooker takes over uh, end of January. They eventually begin to question when the hell he's going to go after uh, Lee, and they wonder if... Ha- if um, Hooker's pulling a McClellan and not moving. But Hooker has sent out detachments, and Lee is in his winter camp south of the Rappahannock River. And at this time, like, you know, during the winter, like, the armies aren't fighting because it, it's winter. It's not an ideal to fight. So they generally do their campaigning spring, summer, early fall. Um, so Lincoln pays a visit to Hooker in early April. And this is where Lincoln actually gets to see the new Union Calvary. And I say new because Hooker, he's reorganized it. This is another one of the things he did. He organizes it into one union, and prior to that, it had been attached to infantry and not used to its fullest potential. So Lincoln gets to see a parade of 17,000 Union Cavalry, and they're led by Major General George Stoneman. So that was one very cool and interesting thing that not only Lincoln got to witness, but that was something that Hooker did that was positive for the army. Um, he visits the hospital to see the soldiers. He reviews 60,000 troops, which takes over five and a half hours. And he also had a lot of conversations with Hooker where Hooker said, when I get to Richmond and Lincoln would say, if you get to Richmond. And then Lincoln ends the visit by having a conference with Hooker and, uh, the senior corps commander, Darius and couch. And all Lincoln says is gentlemen, put all your men in. It's funny to think, because I didn't realize that he was only four years younger than Lincoln. I know. <laughs> like, you hear these quotes going back and forth. You've got to be thinking, like, I feel like this is like a conversation I have with my students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if, when I was coaching, if we beat Boylan. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it makes me chuckle to think I know. that he's a 50-year-old kind of acting like this. I know. It's like, oh, man, the, the dude telling you this is only like five years older than you. Stop it. And White describes Lincoln as coming away from the meeting as being impressed by the changes that Hooker had instituted, um, which had made the morale of the Army the Potomac increase, which is really important. Um, like, morale is everything with an army. But he didn't like Hooker's nonchalant attitude, and he said to Noah Brooks... That is the most depressing thing about Hooker. It seems to me that he is overconfident. So Lincoln is worrying about that overconfidence. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. Yeah. And then we get into Chancellorsville, which the anniversary of the battle is at this time in 1863. It's being fought. And actually, uh, today's the anniversary of the wounding of Stonewall Jackson, as I mentioned earlier. Um, So we won't go into very much detail with the Battle of Chancellorsville because we're going to cover it in an upcoming episode. Um, But I will say that General Lee, during this time, he sarcastically refers to Hooker in any correspondence with anybody. He calls him Mr. F.J. Hooker. So that's he's calling him Mr. Fighting Joe Hooker as just sarcastically. Um. So the battle ends up being a Confederate victory, um, even though that the Confederates are outnumbered by the Union troops. So Hooker on May 3rd, so this is, I think, the third day of the battle, around 9 a.m., he ends up getting concussed. He gets a concussion because a Confederate shell launches into his headquarters at the Chancellor House, like hits a pillar and a piece of stone hits Hooker on the head. So he gets a concussion, and he's really, he's incoherent after that. He passes out for a while. He eventually gets up, gets on his horse, and tries to ride around and give orders, but he's got no idea, you know, really what he's doing. That's the visual I had in my head. I know. (laughs) I feel so bad for him. Yeah, I I do too. I do. The scene I had put together in my mind for my Lincoln miniseries uh, <laughs> was just rather humorous to me. <laughs> Poor Hooker. Um, anyway, so the aftermath of the battle. 
uh, Hooker said of it, I lost faith in Joe Hooker. He said that of himself. Classic. That's um, like right up there with uh, Gerald Ford saying, I'm a Ford, not a Lincoln. Yep. So. <laughs> wow. It was classic. Um, and Sears in his um, book, Lincoln's Lieutenant, said that Lincoln had anticipated a lot for Hooker and this latest campaign with Chancellorsville and defeating Lee. And Senator John Sherman described Lincoln as having looked upon Hooker as his last card. That's depressing. And, yeah. It's, and Lincoln said of the defeat, my God, my God, what will the country say? Yeah, I mean, it's a rough stretch here. Fredericksburg, Mud March, Chancellorsville. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely, this is probably the low point for the Union in the Civil War. Well, I think it is. It, it's kind of, it's the high watermark for the Confederacy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, that literally happens at Gettysburg, but they're in their high watermark and the Union's at their lowest. Um, and some of the generals, they end up turning against Hooker. They lose confidence in him, and they call for him to replace, be replaced by Meade. But Meade steps forward and says that he would not join any movement against Hooker. So he still will remain loyal to him. Um, and Hooker actually does tell Lincoln, like, Meade is the ablest corps commander. And that's what a lot of the other generals are saying, too. Um but many of the officers had really negative things to say about Hooker after the battle. Like Darius Couch completely turned against him, saying that he Hooker took his courage from the bottle and he should have just been drinking at Chancellorsville. And Couch ends up leaving the service with Hooker refusing to give him that leave at first, but Lincoln eventually granting it. Um, Meade, even though he said he would never go against Hooker, said that all I can say is that Hooker disappointed the army and myself in failing to show the nerve. Uh, Governor K. Warren said we went forward filled with high hopes, but that steady purpose was wanting in the controlling power. We halted, we hesitated, wavered, retired. Hancock said, I have had the blues ever since I've returned from the campaign. Hooker's day is over. And Gideon Wells, who was Lincoln's uh, Secretary of the Navy, said that the president says if Hooker had been killed by the shot which knocked over the pillar that stunned him, we should have been successful. Damn. So, wow. That. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wonder how accurate that is. I know. I, I read that. I'm like, really? Well, Lincoln knew that. He, I mean. He's had a history where sometimes he takes it too far. Oh, he does. Yeah, well, that letter he wrote to Meade. So maybe during a cabinet meeting, Lincoln just went off. Yeah. It was like, had he been killed? And then Sears does, he, Sears raises a really good point in his book called Lincoln's Lieutenants that none of these criticisms take into account the fact that Hooker had a concussion during some of this battle. Yeah. During probably what was the critical point of the battle. And that explains his erratic behavior. But at the time, it's easy for us to say that now, but at the time, they're not going to be like, oh, he's concussed. Here, you take over. Yeah, and I think this is kind of nature of the beast, unfortunately, with the military. Um, You know, you see that. It doesn't happen. You know, you want to blame somebody. The buck stops at the top dog. That was Hooker. Yep. And then he kind of gets that rap of. And I think, you know, maybe it's kind of deserved, too. I think Hooker Mm -hmm. won. You know, you see this sometimes in the education field where us teachers complain about our administrators and then, oh, we could do that. And then, you know, maybe one of us get a task to do and then we realize, oh, shit, this is a little bit different. It's more than what I thought it <laughs> yeah. was. Yeah. It's a lot easier to coach from the sideline or to coach from the bleachers than the actual bench. Yeah. Um, so. And then, so I, I, it's probably somewhere in between of those two things. I, I think so. Like, like Sears does say, instead of suffering a loss of awareness, Hooker was marked down suffering a loss of nerve. Mm-hmm. When I think it was probably a bit of both. You know, he's probably super stressed, but then he, you know, he can't help that a Confederate shell gets in there and knocks a chunk of concrete onto his head and gives him a concussion. Um, and then after the battle, he begins quarreling with his corps commanders. And Sears said that even his relationship with Lincoln begins to unravel as well. And Hooker knows that the Army of the Potomac in all of this, you know, so after Chancellorsville, it's been offered to General Reynolds. Uh, General Reynolds get, 
it gets called to a meeting in D.C. with with General with Lincoln. Gets offered the command of the Army of the Potomac. Says no. Um, Meade was the officer's first choice to succeed Hooker, and he ends up writing to Lincoln and telling him he no longer enjoys the confidence in the army. Um, they don't have any confidence in him, and he says what. With this happening, we may look in vain for success. So it's very similar to what Lincoln said to him earlier. Like, if the morale's low, then we can't have success. But now Hooker's saying, if my generals don't have confidence in me, we can't have success. So yeah. he's going back at him saying the same thing. Um, yeah, it kind of comes full circle. It, and then and then ultimately, he gets in a little another quarrel with Halleck. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just kind of worsens. And then four days just before Gettysburg, Hooker asked to be relieved. And, um, yeah, and then we know how that turns out. And then I found a quote when I was looking some stuff up from Noah Brooks, who was hanging out with President Lincoln a lot at this time. And Hooker um, somehow meets him face-to-face, and he's really just like, what, what did Lincoln say? What did Lincoln say? You know, what does Lincoln think of me? Um, and then Noah Brooks is just, Supposedly said to him, the president has said, had told me that he regarded Hooker very much as a father might regard a son who was lame or who had some other incurable physical infirmity. Is that right? Yep, infirmity. His love for his son would be even intensified by the reflection that the lad could never be a strong and successful man. Mm. And supposedly this moved Hooker to tears. Um, so, oh man, I... It was brutal heartbreak. <laughs> yeah, I think Lincoln really did bet his last cards on him, what he thought were his last cards at the time, mm-hmm. and then ended up probably being disappointed in him. I mean, partially through Hooker's overconfidence, but then partially through events you can't control, like you can't control a Confederate shell coming in and giving you a concussion. Um, and Hooker ends up being he's told to go out west so battle of lookout mountain is where he redeems himself and um hooker ignores grant's orders to not do a full-scale assault hooker just orders it and they take lookout mountain for the union um there's actually a beautiful painting at point park visitor center which is up in lookout mountain um hooker had the painting commissioned but it is very beautiful you can see the yeah exactly that's what you do when you win a battle you have a painting commission the clouds are hanging over lookout mountain so you can see clearly it's the battle above above the clouds i will tell you if you go there though that the painting is has an alarm on it i found that out and not through my doing uh jra when we were there um not this past easter but the easter before he thought something looked funny about a horse and he like points and reaches over the barrier and he's like look at this horse and this alarm goes off and i just like i'm i don't know you the lincoln museum has that too yeah so it's i know what you're talking about yeah. i've been there too so jared don't feel bad man yeah but and right after a park ranger came in and i was just sitting on a bench facing away from jerry <laughs> oh man you left him hanging yeah, I was like what are you doing you work in a museum you know not to touch the stuff that's cold. <laughs> it was all good after. So after the Battle of Lookout Mountain, um, Hooker gets breveted to Major General, um, but he's very disappointed that Grant doesn't give him more credit. He gives more credit to Sherman. And Sherman actually like doesn't do as much as Hooker at this point in time at all. Um and during the Atlanta campaign, which uh, Hooker's involved with, he briefly leads troops, but he's he asked to be relieved of command prior to taking the city because General Howard gets promoted instead of him after General McPherson gets killed. Um, Hooker actually had seniority over Howard. Really? And Howard got promoted. It's all because of Sherman. What yeah, that's and I think it just goes back to Hooker's reputation. And I think Sherman was kind of the type of guy I want to work with who I know and he knew Howard. But still, I when I read that, I felt kind of bad for Hooker. Like, ooh, that's not – I would feel bad too if that happened. Yeah, and I can see from Grant and Sherman's standpoint, you mm-hmm. know. Um, you got somebody you trust there, somebody you've been with for a long time. Yep. And then this guy, you know, he's probably still trying to earn trust 
um, or regain his, you know, um, credibility back. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but yeah. I can understand it from another side, too. So until the end of the Civil War, then, um, he commands the Northern Department, which involves Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Il- and Illinois, and he's based out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, he's involved in Lincoln's funeral. He actually leads the funeral procession um, for Lincoln on May the 4th, 1865, in Springfield, Illinois. Um, and he Hooker dies on October the 31st, 1879, in Garden City, New York, and he's buried in Cincinnati, Ohio. And that is the legacy of one J.F. Hooker. Yep, Mr. F.J. Hooker. F.J. Hooker, damn <laughs> Mr. it. Mr. F.J. Hooker. Fighting, that is fighting Joe, which I have to say in doing the research about this, um, about him, I have come away having a little bit more respect for him. He had his faults, but I think he had his talents too. Yeah, I agree. I think he's underrated um, for sure. And he's a fascinating, interesting character. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the more fascinating, interesting guys out of the Civil War. Yep. So, yeah, let's give Jay Hook a little more love, you know. Well, I, I guess he had plenty of love, but, you know. And, and, I mean, even after Fredericksburg, the Army, or not Fredericksburg, uh, Chancellorsville, the Army of the Potomac still kept their high morale because of the changes that Hooker had had made. So the Army of the Potomac that Meade inherited in literally hours before Gettysburg was the result of what Hooker did. Oh, yeah, I Without a doubt. I mean, he, there's a lot of those subtle changes he made after, or not so subtle changes after Fredericksburg. If maybe not for some of them, but it's a Confederate victory at Gettysburg. And then we're all speaking with Southern accents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all. <laughs> Y'all. No, I say that anyway. I think that's it for Jay Hook, huh? I think it is. I think it's, um, that was a really great episode to do, and I think it's time to move on to our last two segments of The People by the People. All right. You up? I do. I have something. So right, this, this comes to us from our uh, Rail Splitter Facebook page, which um, I just want to say all of you are awesome about posting in there. We love seeing the pictures of like Lincoln or Civil War-related sites that you've traveled to. So this one comes from, I think it's a new member. His name is John Jensen. Um, and he, on Saturday he was out looking for books and he said he, he loves to find books in odd places and he found Lincoln Sanctuary as well as Ulysses S. Grant at a local library. And it was like local library and the book on a grant, a book on grant at a Salvation Army thrift store. So Paid less than $5 for the two. Definitely a win. And if you see a library book sale going on, go in and have a look because not only will you find some really awesome books, but you're also supporting your local library. I get it. I'm biased in saying that because I work for a library, but just go in and do it because they need your support. And he posted a photo of those two books that he's that he got. So that's really awesome. So thank you, John, for doing that. Agreed. Love the, love the stuff on Facebook. And that's where I'm going too. And this is to, um, I guess, the founding father of the rail splitter. Uh, Jeremy Boyce has posted, everybody. Hey, everyone, I just want to drop a quick note to let you all know I'll be returning to the show soon. Yay. And then then he thanks us. We don't need to say that out loud. But, yeah, so it's there. We should get a countdown clock going. Yep. Final countdown. It's the final countdown. No, we don't need to hear me sing karaoke tonight when you do your facebook live next time no (laughs) people don't need to hear that one of my friends said that it i started singing on a road trip with him and he was like are there cats following our car yet (laughs) that's good uh do you have a this week in lincoln i do oh good i do so this was one I found on um, Lincoln. Lincoln belongs. The ages has a Facebook page um, as well, which uh, he just re he just started doing again. Um, and this was one from the Abraham Lincoln Presidential and Library Museum that he shared. Um, Clump of dirt found in Abraham Lincoln's hometown looks just like the 16th president. <laughs> and a video was shared to Facebook. Um, 
by a lady as she was sweeping the floor of a Springfield, Illinois home. And the home used to be the very place where um, Mary Todd would have her hair done. And she found like a piece of dust that looked like Abraham Lincoln. And there's like a, she's got a video and a picture of it. I'll post the link, but yeah, that's our this week in Lincoln is like this clump of dirt (laughs) that looks like Lincoln on the floor. That's ridiculous. I know. What perfect for this week. Exactly. All right. I think that's the episode. I think it is. Yep. So that is our show for this week. Thank you as always for listening. Um, Welcome to our new listeners. Um, I know I've approved a lot of people on the Facebook page this past week. So thank you so much. Um, Hopefully the people I approved are listening to this episode. As always, we welcome like ideas for episodes. We welcome feedback reviews please rate us on itunes and we will read your review on air there's been no new reviews right nope just checked it okay all right well do you have any parting thoughts nick as soon as this is over jump on itunes give us a five-star rating and leave us something even if you (laughs) hate us go five stars and then just bash the hell out of us in the comments and we'll read it on air (laughs) it's a (laughs) win-win You win, we win. Um, exactly. Okay, well, if that's everything, then we will say good night. So keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all, and we will see you next time. <laughs>